Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Still no fancy intro, but it's time for the news. That's right, new noise coming at you, Decibel Geek. We're going to talk about it all, rock and roll, the good, the bad, the ugly, the ridiculous, the stupid. It's all here, and we're going to talk about it here today. Trying to bring you guys some more content, I'm Aaron Camaro, joined as always by the man who's got the news, it's Chris Sinzak. Yeah, the new noise weekly is the is that that's what we're gonna call it from now on. I, think. I like it. I like it a lot. It's laid yeah. back. Don't have to do a whole lot of homework. You know, we're just gonna talk about some of the happenings in the world of the things that we love. This kind of music, the stuff we love and support. First news as of recording this, we want to wish happy birthday to Mr. Ken Mills, the Pod Father. Yeah, Ken turned thirty today. <laughs> Again. <laughs> I just wanted to give him a present. That's why nice. I said that. Yeah, I'm sure he'll love that. <laughs> yeah. Nah, love that guy. Yeah, awesome friend of ours. You know, was great when he came to Rockin' Pot and hung out with us. I love Ken Mills. We need to find an excuse to get him back on the show. Maybe we should have him assign us an album. So you ready to get right to it? Kind of a sad story to start things off. Uh, Aerosmith canceled its previously announced June and July dates and uh, for their Vegas residency hmm. uh, because Steven Tyler has gone back into rehab. Oh, shit. Uh, Basically, he needs to content, concentrate on his health and recovery. And they said, uh, as many of you know, our beloved brother Stevens worked on his sobriety for many years. After foot surgery to prepare for the stage and the necessity to, of pain management during the process, he's recently relapsed Dang. and voluntarily entered a treatment program to concentrate on his health and recovery. So I think this is essentially probably a painkiller addiction. Yeah. Uh, from treatment for the surgery this and this happens very often hey, it's easy enough to do and you hear about it all the time you know where somebody it isn't a pill head you know and all of a sudden they something happens to them and they end up on the pain pills that are prescribed to them and you know whatever you got wrong with you hurts so you want to take enough to you know put the pain away and then it's kind of like drinking a little bit. You know, you want to have a few beers and have a good time, but then you start doing like shots of tequila to go with it. And then all of a sudden it's not fun anymore, <laughs> you know? So you wouldn't know anything about I, that. I mean, though. just, I'm not saying I know from experience, which I guess I do, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in kind of the same context where, you know, you don't go into it thinking, okay, I'm going to come out of this with a pill addiction, you know, mm-hmm. and you're definitely susceptible to something like that if you've had issues with you know addictions in the past you know it's it's scary stuff there's so many people on pills nowadays and it's just because they're so readily available and when the doctor says here take these they don't think about you know hey this guy's got issues in the past 
Mm-hmm. They just want to make sure you can get through your, your injury without being in pain. And then, I don't know, man, that sucks. Yeah, well, and, you know, to stay in the Aerosmith world, I didn't even, there's this, it's funny that I'm amazed that this hasn't become a story, but I saw a tidbit of information, strangely, related to Aerosmith through the Johnny Depp trial that's going on right now. Um, as a lot of you know, Johnny played with Joe Perry in the Hollywood Vampires Project yeah. with him and Alice Cooper. That's good stuff. Well, the guy, they had, they brought, they did a deposition with uh, the guy that produced some of that stuff, and... Uh, part of his testimony was saying that he witnessed Johnny and Joe Perry doing cocaine together. Oh, and this shit. is like just a few years ago. Wow. <laughs> and I'm kind of a, I, I saw it and I'm like, man, that, that, that'll probably be on Blabbermouth or Metal Sludge or one of these yeah. sites, but no one's, no one's done an article on it. And, and I wasn't, it's one of those where I could have taken advantage of the situation and done a decibel geek article on it. But I was just like, I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to be that guy. It's kind of shitty, but I mean, Damn, Joe Perry, aren't you a little old to be snorting lines? I mean, Johnny Depp too, even. I mean, look at the mess that poor guy's in. My my rule is if you're if you're above forty, don't touch that shit. Yeah, I mean, you could just ex- explode your heart, you know. Like I said, I've said it a million times in the past. Take it from Kevin DeBro. Take it from Kurt Henning. You know, you get over a certain age. And you toot that line, thinking you're going to have a good time, and then your heart explodes, and that's it. And then that's how you're known for dying forever yeah it's terrible which i mean they you know steven's going into rehab now for this but i've heard no mention of joe perry lately so hopefully that was an isolated thing for him but i don't know a few years ago he was looking really frail and uh, i was like i'm worried he's on something again but uh i hope uh, you know all the best to steven tyler and those guys in the aerospace i'm amazed they're still out there doing it because certainly they're they've got to be well off beyond their means that johnny depp he's a bad influence (laughs) hey did you see in the johnny depp trial when he was talking about feeding pills to marilyn manson to get him to shut up (laughs) yeah to get him to shut up (laughs) i love that he laughed when he said it he wouldn't stop asking me questions about edward scissorhands he wouldn't leave me alone about it that's all he wanted to talk about it was all 21 jump street questions i couldn't figure it out (laughs) Oh man, but uh, but yeah, let's move to the next story. Jimi Hendrix's penis cast is going to be unveiled at Iceland's Penis Museum. Oh, nice! There's a penis museum. Man, sometimes you go through your life and you don't know, you know, what your goals should be and stuff, and then you hear something like that and be like, "I want to be in that someday." Well, you know, I never wanted to go to Iceland, and after this news, I still don't want to go to Iceland. <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> They, not a lot of free time on people's hands up there. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I guess it was, you know, Cynthia Plastercaster, who we talked about in a recent New Noise, uh, passed away. And But there's the, it's called the Icelandic Phallogical Museum. Wow. <laughs> and uh, it's, the cast will be unveiled during a closed event, which will take place uh, at the Phallogical Mu- Museum's premises in downtown Reykjavik in early June. Wow. So, uh <laughs> I don't know what to make of this one. Um, pretty cool, I guess. <laughs> it's a it's about time we get our own Hall of Fame. As I say, the, the, I could see a wife talking to the husband, "Honey, you never plan anything. Let's plan. You, you need to plan a romantic date night." And the husband comes back with this: "We're going to the penis museum. We're going to Iceland. <laughs> We're going to the penis museum. You don't tell her till you get there." 
And she says uh, there was an interview with Cynthia about uh, Jimmy in particular. She says, it wasn't our very first cast. I had tried it on a few civilians to get ready for Jimmy. He's my biggest. No, he's not my biggest. There are biggerish others, but I couldn't say whether or not he's my most exciting because they're my sweet babies, <laughs> and I am their mama, and I'm very democratic with all my babies. Wow. Okay. <laughs> um, they're like children. Yeah. you got to love them all equally. Yeah, I'm a rock and roll nerd, but I, and I'll go to great lengths to see cool, um, great <laughs> to see cool rock and roll history things. But I don't think I'm going to a penis museum just to see Jimmy's dick. I, 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 there's some things I'm happy not knowing. I think it's pretty cool. <laughs> I like it. Oh, you're gonna book a flight to Iceland? I don't know about all that, <laughs> but I could see like if you were in Iceland. You know, like, damn, I don't understand. I thought, honey, I thought for sure coming and seeing this would put you in the mood. <laughs> in the mood for somebody else, mm. maybe. Yeah, I remember our, our late friend Gary Corbett talking about Kiss playing in Iceland and him saying, it's a very strange place, and this does nothing to dissuade me from, from <laughs> believing him. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, uh, moving on, uh, accepts Wolf Hoffman dismisses Udo Dirk Schneider's criticism. Uh, apparently Udo was doing an interview and somebody brought up, you know, his relationship with, uh, the, the previous members of the band. And one of his quotes was, and I don't want to, uh, about Wolf was, I don't want to have any contact with him. I'm really good friends now again with Peter. He did bass guitars on the new cover record that Udo just released. He says, I still have a good relationship with Stefan Kaufman over the years. He was a guitar player in UDO. He was producing UDO and stuff like that. And the only guy I don't want to talk to, let's say it this way, is Wolf. Well, how? what other way would you say it? Uh, th there's a lot of reasons why I wish him all the best. He's a great guitar player anyway, but for me to work with him again, never. Wow. And uh, uh, Wolf got interviewed recently, and he said, uh, I think it just proves what I've always felt. It's a partnership, and unless you have the right partner, yeah, it's not going to work. It's almost like a marriage or something. Just because it didn't work with somebody else doesn't mean there's not the right person out there somewhere. And I think we found that right person. Let's talk about Mark Tornillo, For who's sure. great. Uh, and he's got the right voice, has a great attitude, he's got the looks, The total, he's a total metal freak. So I think we have a winning team here. And then they asked him if he had seen uh, Udo's comments, and he says, yeah, yeah, of course I know. What else is new? Of course he's going to say that. What else is he going to talk about? See, that's the thing. If you constantly talk about something that happened 30 years ago, what does that tell you about your own career? That's all I have to say about that. I think I always think the proof is in the pudding. Make some great music, and the rest will sort itself out, and that's all we're trying to do. We're not trying to compete with anybody. We don't have to prove ourselves. We are accepted. We make great albums. That's all I know. That's the truth. I do think it's sad that those guys can't at least get along and appreciate what they did together. But, you know, that how, that's how it goes I mean, sometimes. I'm sure they appreciate what they did together because they're each still playing songs from that era. Yeah, but it, it is sad that they that they aren't on friendly terms yeah. anymore because it sounds like there's definitely some bitterness between the two of them. But if it was a competition sucks. in 2022, who do you think's winning that competition, Except or oh, Udo? Not. Well, except doing much bigger gigs than Udo. I would agree. Yeah, I would definitely hand yeah. it to the current version of Except. Udo just released a covers album, which is pretty cool, you know, but man, that last album that Except put out was out of this world good. Uh, I mean, I need to listen to the rest of the Udo album because all I've heard off the covers record is uh, the We Will Rock You cover, and I never need to hear that yeah. again. Yeah. Because that was not. That wasn't no, good. there's other stuff on there that's pretty cool, but I mean, nothing that comes close to touching the last Accept album. 
Uh, next story, Vinny Paul's estate is going to auction his collection of personal and private mementos. Did you see this announcement? No. Uh-uh. So Backstage Auctions, which is kind of like the go-to auction house for rock and roll stuff, um, his estate is putting up a... I mean, they're selling everything. They're selling everything from sports stuff that he had to his jeans and stuff on this thing. It's uh, it's like 700 items. It's pretty insane. Any musical the, stuff? Oh, yeah. I mean, you can buy his drum sets from Pantera and Hell Yeah and Damage Plan. And um, I found it funny, which just shows how big of a Kiss nerd Vinnie Paul was, that there's an entire Kiss section in here. Wow. You know, I like there's a Kiss apron. There's a Paul Stanley broken Ibanez guitar from 97 that Paul gave Vinnie. There's wow. a There's a signed Love Gun album signed by the whole band. There's a Kistory book. And I, I found it funny that the Kistory book, the binding is completely fallen off. And I'm like, yep. That's a definite history book. They're like, yeah. the worst problem with that thing. Um, but no, there's some cool stuff in here. There's also some stuff from kind of like, this is kind of a poor taste, but cause they're just selling everything lock, stock and barrel. But I don't know. Um, for the kiss section, there is a Peter, Chris and Gene Simmons coffee mug set that's going on sale and it's starting bids 50 bucks. So I might actually be a bidder on, on that one. Cause I collect rock and roll coffee mugs and that'd be kind of cool uh, to own that. That would be pretty cool. As far as owning a pair of his jeans, I don't know. I don't think I need to own his jeans. You know, like can you buy like pairs of socks? They got his underwear up there. I mean, I don't think his underwear is in there. There's shirts. There's jeans. Uh, I'm looking through it now. There's jackets. There's uh, there's a, a novelty suit that looks like pajamas. There's a few of them. Um, there's boots. Cow- a lot of cowboy boots. Shoes. Cowboy boots might be kind of cool. You could put them on display. Yeah, there's hats. I mean, there's a lot of cool. There's cool stuff, but it is a little morbid too. It's kind of. I mean, like, I guess it, though, yeah. what are you gonna do with it? It's been all this time, and it's just his personal effects. It's not like you know autographed items or things like that. It's. But what are you gonna? You know, no museum is gonna want a pair of his pants. No. <laughs> yeah, you can buy. Um, his drums from the Great Southern Trend Kill tour. Wow! Like that. The starting See, that's bid's pretty cool. Starting bid seventeen thousand five hundred dollars. Wow! Somebody'll get it. Oh yeah, th- that'll get bought. Wait, if sure. I was some kind of millionaire and I had like a big office somewhere, how cool would that be to have something like that sitting in the corner with like yeah. a velvet rope around it and a little display thing that says what it is? And all of his gold and platinum award uh, stuff is being sold too. Uh, some of the starting bids are kind of low, like 300 bucks. So, so you know, it's it's reasonably priced stuff. And if you're a Pantera fan, you know, the, you might want to jump out and get it. Go to BackstageAuctions.com to check it out. It's actually pretty cool. Yeah. It gives the fans a chance to have it instead of just throwing it in a, all in a dumpster somewhere, you know. And uh, on the subject of auctions, uh, new uh, thing, uh, Kurt Cobain's guitar that he used in the Smells Like Teen Spirit video sold at auction for $4.5 million. Holy shit. Yep. And you know who bought it? Who bought it? The owner of the Colts, Jim Ursay. Oh, yeah. You told me he likes to collect stuff like that. Wow. The guitar from the video. Who's, who had it? Uh, I don't I'm not. I don't, I don't know if it says in here. Probably his family, I'm guessing. Yeah. No, Jim Ursay has a whole collection of amazing rock and roll uh memorabilia and so he's a real appreciator of that stuff but then also 
uh, donating portion of the proceeds to a thing called Kicking the Stigma, which is his initiative to raise awareness about mental health disorders. So there, at least there's some good charity stuff going through with this. That's cool. That's cool. But yeah, I mean, that is, you know, I'm not the biggest, you know, Nirvana fan in the world, but that is a very, you can't say that's not a legendary guitar. I mean, it started a whole revolution. Yeah, it definitely is. And it would be pretty cool to have something like that hanging on your wall in a glass frame and He's probably got gold inlay on it and everything else. Fancy, diamond-studded Kurt Cobain's guitar hanging on the wall. Pretty cool. I wonder if there's a, I wonder if there's a list somewhere of everything like that that he owns. I need to look that up and see. And I wonder um, what he does with it all. Does he just got a big room in his giant mansion house? I guess I don't. He might. I wonder if he's got it on public display. I might might even travel up to Indiana to see it because I mean he's got some amazing stuff. Right on. I'm going up to Indiana later in the year. Maybe I'll find out. What's going on in Indiana? I'm going up to hang out with the Fugers. Oh, cool. Okay. We're just going to meet in Indiana one weekend and hang out there. Oh, cool. I've never been. I've driven past it. I want to go see if they got any good CD stores and stuff like that. So the next story, Wasp Blackie Lawless is uh, writing his upcoming autobiography. Do you know about this? Wow. No. Uh Uh-uh. Since it's been one of the most fun things he's ever done in his life. Wow. Yeah, I can only imagine. Blackie Lawless kind of a shit talker over the years. But then he's got like, he's got the Christian, you know, thing that he's, you know, been believing in for many years and I guess following. So I wonder how that affects it. You know, where's the balance in there between asshole Blackie and love everyone Blackie? It's uh, he's he's an interesting subject, and I mean I know we have friends, including uh, Rick Fox, and while I have Rick Fox on my mind, let me uh, pass on our condolences on yeah. the loss of his wife. Um, she was a she was a sweet woman and did a lot for him, and um, was very important. And uh, Tamara, uh, you know, rest in peace. It's I, I I really feel for Rick with what he's going through. Our hearts go out to you, Rick. As you know, Rick didn't have the greatest relationship with Blackie and uh, a lot, you know, including or, you know, Chris Holmes or a lot of people. So I'm interested to see how he addresses a lot of these things. And uh, like you said, you don't he's kind of a two part person because early in his career, it seems like there was a lot of selfishness and ego. And then, you know, he did get born again and seems like he's tried to walk more of a straight and narrow path in the last 20 years but he doesn't do a lot of interviews so uh i would be interested to see what he has to say and how he reflects on that stuff yeah that's something definitely i'd be interested in reading i got one so i've been doing some detective work because i'm still trying to figure out why ugly kid joe won't play in the united states and i think i ruled something out so when people talk about in the music industry when they're talking about dave fortman I mean, usually they're talking about, you know, award-winning producer that's done stuff with Godsmack and Slipknot and Evanescence and a ton of other bands that have sold a whole lot of albums. That's how most people think of Dave Fortman if they, you know, know our kind of music. But me, I know Dave Fortman as a guitarist from Ugly Kid Joe. So he's been back with Ugly Kid Joe for a while now, but now comes the time for Dave Fortman to go back into the studio and be a producer again. So they had to get a new guitarist. So they got Mike Squires, who's a former guitarist from Duff McKagan's Loaded. And I don't know if you know this, he does a podcast called Couch Riffs. It's pretty cool. If you guys like Decibel Geek, you ought to check out his show. It's called Couch Riffs. He has 
people on rock and rollers mostly yeah mostly rock and rollers he's had ryan roxy on there vivian campbell william duvall and a whole bunch of other people Hmm. and what he does is they'll sit on his couch they'll talk about music and then at the end they do a song together and it's like one take thing and it's pretty neat it's a cool show metal mike was telling me about it and so they got him as the guitarist he was born in california so that tells me at least Ugly Kid Joe does not hate Americans. All right. So we can rule that out as to why they still are not playing in the United States. The detective work continues. Ugly Kid Joe's on tour in Europe and the UK right now with Thunder. Oh, that'd be a good show. Yeah, pretty cool. That would be awesome. Another band that never plays here. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, you'll never see either one of them here in the States, but... yeah. Did you see this story about Ingve Malmsteen and Jeff Scott Soto? I did see that. That's pretty wild. Man, they're slinging some mud at each other. Um, well, I guess what I what I seen was that Jeff Scott Soto. It's all kind of funny to me. So Jeff Scott Soto is going to go see, go to this club that he goes to all the time. Got some bands there. They're playing, opening up for a headliner that he's friends with. He wants to go check out. No problem on any other night, you know, come on down, Jeff, hang out, have a good time. Everybody loves that guy. But on this particular night that he decided to go down there and do this, Ingve Melmstein is playing. And so, you know, there's some kind of history between those guys that, you know, isn't real good. You know, they don't get along anymore, or at least Ingve doesn't like him very much. Yeah, I think it's mutual. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah, because... uh he was asked to leave. <laughs> well, that's what Jeff says. Yeah, part of me says that, you know, I don't know. You knew who was opening up that show. Unless you went down there with the attitude of, you know, maybe I go down there, I hang out. You know, maybe I get to talk to him. Maybe we can bury the hatchet. But if you're just going down there to hang out and act like you didn't know Ingve Malmsteen was the headliner of the show. Who? Who? Ingve? who? Never heard of the guy. And then he says that he that Ingve threatened to not play if Jeff didn't leave. And then you know, and then Jeff says you know, Jeff says he was going to leave anyway before Ingve came on, so he just left. But then Ingve comes back and says, "I think some people are making up stories to be in the media again. Kids don't believe made up BS from people who are trying to stay relevant. He's not important for me. Uh, he's not important for me to cancel my show to the to my fans." On the other hand, I was told by my agent that he snuck in there without paying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so security threw him out. Certain people make up stories, turn up at my show, get kicked out by security because they snuck in the venue without paying, then turn around and make up a story to try to grab media attention. Some people are sick. Stop stalking me and get help. Wow. I forgot about that part. I don't think Jeff Scott Soto is that unbalanced to where it's that way. I think, I think Ingve's blowing. I, it seems more likely that Ingve would say, would tell Jeff, I'm not playing unless you leave rather than the other way around. Yeah. Cause I mean, the story that Ingve's telling seems legit. You know, he could honestly say, look, I don't, I'm not going to cancel the show over this one guy when all these people came to see me. I mean, what's he going to do? Heckle me? I don't think so. You know, no big deal. But then he throws that other part in there about, yeah, he snuck into the club. It's like, why does Jeff Scott Soto need to sneak into a club, you know? <laughs> he doesn't. But then it gives you this, like, mental picture of him, like, sneaking in. <laughs> and it's kind of funny because it doesn't seem like that's, that doesn't seem like Jeff Scott Soto's way, really. 
Well, it's like sneaking into a place uh, wearing a, like a fake mustache, you know, to avoid a guitarist with a big ego. Tr- I mean, never mind. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I, I don't. I think um, I think I'm Team Soto on this one. I don't. I think Invig's full of shit. I think he probably did throw a fit that Jeff was in the audience. I mean, historically speaking, from what we've known and heard about Ingve Melmstein over the years, and you know what we've seen with Jeff Scott Soto. Yeah, I'm definitely Soto team also. Yeah, I'd, that that's, it makes more sense when you look at that. And then I don't think Jeff's really pandering for media attention. I think he's happy with his lot in life. I don't yeah. think he's looking to, to get any big headlines. Nah. And I know the whole thing with Journey, you know, even you know, and Neil Sean tried to throw the same thing at him for the whole thing where he said, I don't think I got enough, you know, recognition for the time I spent in Journey. But I agree with him on that, too. It's true. I thought Journey kind of dicked him over. Not that, you know, if they went and got Arnell, that's fine because he's more of a Perry clone. But, you know, he the, he really got kind of swept under the rug after that. And he really helped those guys out when they were desperately needing a singer. Yeah, for them to come back and be kind of shitty about it later. Yeah, at least acknowledge that he definitely saved your ass in the in a really hard situation. Say, you know, it wasn't a fit for what we wanted to do, the what we envisioned in the return of Journey, and, you know, the guy helped us out a ton, and we appreciate him a lot, and he's an awesome singer in his own right, doing all these other things, just didn't work with Journey. Say that instead, you know? Yeah. Why does everything got to be, oh, fuck that guy, you know? <laughs> Everybody blows everything up so much. Yeah. So I got another one. This is pretty cool. I think everyone will find this interesting. Here's another one I got to thank Metal Mike for. He sent me this video. I think it was on Instagram or maybe Twitter. It was Brett Michaels showing how he folds his bandana. I purposely left that off because I didn't know if you were going to have a problem with it. (laughs) A problem with it? No way. I loved it. I thought it was so cool because when I watched Brett Michaels fold his bandana... Uh-huh. I had no doubts, but I can tell you 100%, his bandana folding game is on point. He does it just like I do, same way. The only difference is I don't like to pin my ears back. I got to pull mine over my ears and let my, you know, I got to hear things. I want to I wanna catch everything, so I don't ever tie my bandana over my ears like Brett does. But as far as the fold-up of it, on point. Excellent, excellent form. I'm glad you brought this up because where else, what other podcast is going to give you, you know, <laughs> bandana folded? Well, of course I was going to bring it up. <laughs> I, I could barely contain myself to hold it in that long. It finally had to come out. Another quick story. I, Queensryche announced they're going to have a new album out on October 7th called Digital Noise Alliance. I guess that stands for DNA. Um, coming out on Century Media Records and... Um, no uh, Scott Rockenfeld on this one, I'm sure. No, probably not. I don't know. I always look forward to new Queensryche stuff. I like the verdict quite a bit, so uh, hopefully this one follows up well to that one. Right on. I watched the show No Cover on YouTube. Oh, yeah? Yeah, with Alice Cooper as the judge, and it's got... Uh, it's got Lizzie Hale from Hailstorm on there, and you know a few other people. Got the dude from Bush is one of the judges. Chris, we talked about this last time. You said you were watching this, and so you gave me the assignment to watch it, and I did, and I thought it was pretty cool. I didn't even know there was such a thing as thrash grass. I can't remember the name of it, like uh, Native Howl. Native Howl, yep, that's it. 
You know, I saw that one time. We went to like the Wilson County Fair and they had guys out there with banjos playing that bluegrass. And I'm not a bluegrass guy, but I'm watching those guys play and I was like, these guys are fucking shredding. But this band, they found a way to infuse thrash metal and bluegrass in a way that's pretty damn cool. Yeah, I want to hear more from that group. Um, but yeah, I... I've enjoyed the show. Um, you know, we we went into an in depth before. Oh, I did, and I and you know, and I I did start watching Yacht Rock. Yes, and I laughed. I've laughed pretty hard so far. Um, Have you got to the story about how Van Halen got Ted Templeman? I've only gotten through the first couple, oh, but I, yeah. I but uh, <laughs> I need to get into that. But just see it like Michael McDonald sulking in the corner. <laughs> like, cheer up, dude! It's so funny. It's so, but yeah, the, it's uh, I love the lo-fi production on it and like the o- over-the-top wigs and mustaches. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I uh, I'm uh, looking forward to watching more. I had a good laugh at it yesterday when I was watching some of it. Nice. I was like, all right, Aaron knows what he's talking about because I was like, this is totally in- entertaining. All right, well, thumbs up <laughs> so, for no cover and thumbs up for yacht rock. Couple more. Uh, well, nothing major to say on this one, other than it's cool. Uh, Dio Holy Diver is coming out in a super deluxe edition, which is going to have a new mix and some uh, previously un- unreleased outtakes, live recordings, and rarities. So nice. uh, I'll be picking this up. And it's got that uh, alternative cover to it too. Yeah, I, I'm not sure how I feel about them changing the artwork on it. But, I mean, it's uh, still the same. It's just like the same picture, but taken like a moment before, you know? Like right before he hits the water instead of really being in it. If you know what we're talking about, Dio Holy Diver album. Yeah, and go back and listen to our Vinny Apice, uh episode, doing albums unleashed on that if you haven't heard it. That was so awesome. That was a fun one. But yeah, I'm uh, I'm excited. Uh, it's got uh, the B-side version of Evil Eyes on it as a bonus track. So nice. uh, I'm ex- I'm looking forward to buying this one. I'll, I don't know if I'm going to do the vinyl. I might just do the CD for this. I'm starting to kind of revert back to CDs because the vinyl prices have gone insane. I saw that like a week ago. Somebody was posting. Yeah. They were so mad because the price of vinyl is going to take a huge jump. Well, because they're making the manufacturing cost has gone up. Yeah, and um, and the backup. There's not enough people out there pressing LPs. That's part of it too. And then I, I was, I posted a story about it, saying you know record companies are greedy as ever and they never learn. But um, and then our friend Jason Herndon, who does the Kiss My Wax podcast, but also works in you know record pressing, um, mentioned to me that no, he's like no, the material, the cost of the materials going up, so therefore they pass it along to the customer. Man, yeah, just like everything else, just like gas, just like. Man, I got a project going on for my new CD racks that are finally going to go up. I'm going to get all my CDs out of boxes and up on the racks again. And to buy the lumber for that, like, two years ago, maybe three years ago, when we built the ones at the old house, the Mm -hmm. same piece of wood that we paid five bucks for then is like $12.50 now for the same piece of lumber. And gas, man. I gave them, I went to the gas station the other day, I gave them 60 bucks, 320s, and I said, hey, I'm going to come back and get my change. I went and fill up my tank. There was no change. So I saw that story, and I was telling my wife about it, and when I was done, I said, but you know what? Price CDs ain't going nowhere. <laughs> not, not for now, but like I said, it's coming. See, the CD renaissance is coming, and then the prices on those are going to go yeah. up. And at that point, I'll have to I'll have to sell the ones I don't like so much to get more of the ones that I do. Uh, so we got a couple more. Um, this I thought this was interesting. Um, 
This is one of those where the headline makes it look like one person's a prick, but then when you think about it and look deeper into it, the person saying the person that's a prick might be the prick. Oh, okay. Um, so Lou Graham from Foreigner says that Mick Jones's greed was the reason he didn't get songwriting credit on Foreigner's I, I Want to Know What Love Is. It's an interesting story, and essentially in a nutshell, though, he, you know, he's basically saying that he that normally when they would write songs together, it was like a 50-50 split with songs like Hot-Blooded, Waiting for a Girl, and stuff like that. So he goes, but then I want to know what love is. The two of us, uh, Mick's home was about 15 minutes from my home, so I'd drive over to his house, and we would work on that song. There'd be moments where it was just magic, and we'd then we'd hit our head on something creatively, and we couldn't get to the next point. So we almost had to put the song away for a couple of weeks and come back to it again. I felt we'd worked our tails off to make the song what it was. And at the end of the album, it was time to decide what the percentages were. I wrote down what I thought it should be. And he wrote down what he thought it should be. And I wrote 65, 35, 35 for me, 65 for him. And I opened the little piece of paper that what he thought was, it was. And he wrote down 95, five, 95 so, for himself. Yeah. And five for, for him oh shit he says i was stunned and crushed that he'd think i contributed next to nothing to that song but the thing is from what i know of this song and how it was made mick jones did have like the whole song written and basically what lou graham added was like vocal trills and runs and stuff like little fill-in pieces so mick had the lyrics and everything written yeah lyrics and music for like the majority of the song so he's to blame well, I this is one of those things where I think Lou Graham is is he's bitter that he's not getting a bigger piece of it, but I it it just depends on what you who you believe. But I mean, I think Mick Jones wrote the song, so yeah. So I mean, like you said, he could be the asshole by saying you know, uh, with what he said for the split being way too much, like sixty five. He'd be like, "What are you talking about? You haven't done anything on this song." What makes you think you deserve that, you know? And Lou, Lou Graham tries to back up his point by saying, like, um, Mick Jones was working with the... Because, you know, the choir comes in at one point. And that Mick Jones was working with the choir on their part. And then during that time, Lou Graham was doing his lead vocal and, like, all the little additions and stuff that he does. You know, I feel so much love and all that stuff. And he's like, I did that myself. And like Mick didn't have to correct me on any of it. And I'm thinking, yeah, but that's a vocal part. It's not writing, you know, that that's adding emotion to a song. And I don't, I'm not taking away what Lou did His vocal on the song is awesome, but I think he's wrong in this case. Yeah. It kind of seems like it. I don't know. That song's awful. Oh, I thought you loved that song. No, No, that's what ruined Foreigner for me. Like, I never listened to Foreigner. I didn't want nothing to do with Foreigner. I didn't care about him because of that song. And then, like, you go back and you hear the full album, the first album in full, and mm-hmm. you go, wow, man, this is really cool. You know, I've never listened to Foreigner because of that song. Well, I mean, Gene Simmons ruined that song for me forever. <laughs> Was that playing while he was wearing his socks? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's what I heard. <laughs> oh, man. That's yeah. funny. And I'll take Gene in a bathrobe over that video. Um, yeah. But yeah. All right. So then uh, last story for today before we get out of here. 
Did you hear this thing about this Rolling Stone article that uh, they put out on Taylor Hawkins and his last days? No, huh? So essentially, the article, the way it was written, is one thing, and then the people, some of the people they interviewed in it, have retract, not really retracted their statements, but said that their statements were misrepresented. But I think this is one of those where the truth kind of lies in the middle. So basically. The aim of the article was to say that he was working himself to death and he had gone to Dave Grohl and Foo Fighters management during the tour and said, I can't keep doing it like this. This is killing me and we need to scale back. And they kept adding more dates. And um, Chad Smith from the Chili Peppers, who was his friend, and also Matt Cameron from Pearl Jam, both gave quotes in it basically saying, yeah, he came to me and said that he was exhausted and he wasn't sure he could keep up this pace anymore and that he had gone to management, but management and Dave weren't hearing him out and they were like, no, we're just going to keep booking shows. But then both Chad and Matt came back after this article came out and they were like, I can't believe Rolling Stone misrepresented what I said and I never would have... um I never would have been part of this if I had known that was the angle they were going to take. Hmm. So I, but it's like, if you said, if that's a direct quote though, how do you misrepresent that? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, cause when you're talking to Rolling Stone, you don't think, Oh, this is not on the record, right? No, of course. If you're talking to somebody like Rolling Stone, everything is on the record, you know, that you're saying. So there's no mistake in it. So, I mean, how can you say, like, you didn't know. Like, Rolling Stone, hey, can we get a quote? It'd be hard to go back and say, well, they misrepresented what I said. Unless it was something like, maybe I think it could have been this, you know? Or, in my opinion, or, I don't know. I don't know how all that works. That's weird. I think the argument those guys do have is, and I'm sure this is what Rolling Stone did, is they came to them and said, we're writing a tribute article to Taylor. Will you share your memories of it? And then they got these quotes out of him in that yeah. premise. Interviewed him for half an hour and got that one little clip out of there. That's it. We got it. So I don't know. I think the quotes are probably accurate and that he probably was tired. At the same time, the, he did have a drug problem. I mean, there's no right. questioning that now. So I mean, it could have been his health that had him feeling that way to begin with. You know, he's not doing good on the inside. He doesn't right. realize it. And then he gets out there and goes... Oh, hey, something's not right. You know, I'm not feeling good. I'm not feeling like I usually do. You know, not realizing that your insides are wrong. You know, something's not right. You're going to die in a week. Right. So, I mean, something wrong with them could have been the being wiped out and tired could have been the clue to say, yeah, you need to stop because you're about to die. Well, I mean, this whole situation like with a lot of rock and roll guys that we lose too young it's one of those where hindsight's 2020 and you all and everyone goes back and wishes they would have done things differently so i mean i don't rolling stone it's their job to put out articles like this i'm not a big fan of rolling stone never have been but this is what they do to get clicks and and reads but at the same time i'm sure that dave and the rest of the Foo Fighters management and the bandmates he had are probably all questioning, could I have done something different? So I'm sure an article like this does not help their situation at all. Well, no, and of course, like you said, in retrospect, you know, it's easy to look back and ask those kinds of questions, but in real time, 
you don't really know, you know, yeah. until it's it's done, you know, whatever happens, happens. Yeah, because, I mean, Foo Fighters management, after the article came out, they came out and said none of that shit happened. Like, yeah. he never came to Dave and never came to management asking for this stuff. So who knows? I mean, it's... So it couldn't have been any of those guys that said, yeah, he went to management, he went to Dave and told him because, I mean, unless he said that to him, then you say, well, he told me that he went to management because those guys aren't there. Yeah, I don't know. Like they said, a, a colleague who wanted to, who was a friend with of his, they wanted to remain anonymous in the yeah, article. They there it is. Yeah, they said the fact that he finally spoke to Dave and really told him he couldn't do this and he wouldn't do it anymore was freeing for him. That took fucking balls. That took a year of working up the guts to do. And then Foo Fighters management says he never informed Dave and management of anything at all like that. Yeah, see, and that's the state of, you know, the reporting, the way it's done nowadays, you know. I could write any kind of bullshit article about anything I want to and pin it all on somebody anonymous. Yeah, Who's and I think to that take happens the, a lot. You, that takes the responsibility off of me and sets it on an imaginary person that gives me the ability to write whatever the fuck I feel like. Yep. And it's as long as it's outlandish and insane, it's going to get a lot of clicks and I'm going to make a lot of money. Yeah. Either way, it sucks that Taylor's gone, and uh, it does suck. And it sucks that Rolling Stone would do some shit like that to try to stir it up when you know the rest of the band's already hurting enough just by losing their friend. Yeah, they're still grieving over this whole thing. And then to try to construe something to make it look like, oh, not only did you lose your friend, but guess what? It's also your fault that he's dead. Bullshit, Rolling Stone. You yeah. suck. I'm sure it was a. Uh... It was a rough day in that camp when this article came out. Yeah. But if I was going to give any advice to the Foo Fighters, I would say I don't pay too much attention to what Rolling Stone's got to say because, you know, back in 2003, they, vote, they voted Elvis Costello the number one guitarist of all time. Did they really? <laughs> I'm just guessing. Based oh, okay. on what I know about Rolling Stone. Uh, well, I was going to say uh, they were also the, the uh, magazine that completely ignored Eric Carr's death. And, and after hearing about this article about Taylor Hawkins, I'm kind of glad that they did. Yeah, no <laughs> so, kidding. You know, who knows what the fuck they would have said. Yeah. You know, I have no, said these no guys kiss killed Eric Carr. Yeah, that's what they yeah, probably would have said. Yeah. Well, I don't know. We've heard stories on that, too. But, man, that sucks, <laughs> man. Fuck Rolling Stone. Yeah, but um, but now so uh, let's jump out of here. This is a quick new noise. We gotta take a quick break, and then we're gonna get ready to record the other episode. All right. Well, we'll see you guys next time. Thanks. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett.
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Points.